Hello listeners and welcome to the NK News Podcast. I am your host, Jacko's Wetsuit, and recording day is Thursday the 11th of June, 2020. And I'm on a ferry that is about to depart from Yonpyeong-do, or Yonpyeong Island, or Waipido, if you like, going back to Incheon Port. And together with me, I have Andre Lankoff, Chad O'Carroll from NK News, and we also have others who may pop in for cameo appearances, including Andre Abrahamian from uh, Koreana Connect and George Mason, not George Foreman University. Um, Andre, what is it about Yonpyeong-do that makes it uh, important or special? Well, it's one of very few South Korean islands, islands which are currently under the South Korean administration, which are located not where they are, so to say, supposed to be located. Uh, because it's a quite far away from Incheon and Seoul and very close to North Korea. Mm. Yonpyeong-do um, is about 120 kilometers from Incheon. Right. And it's located next to the Unjin Peninsula, which was so prominent during the Korean War. And there is another island, which is even further north, and it did not look like, we, we, when you have a look at map, it does look strange. You cannot help but you ask yourself, what exactly are they doing here? And this is a reflection of a peculiar episode in the late period of the Korean War, when the so-called Northern Limit Line, NLL, was first introduced. Uh, this line was initially suggested by the Americans in order to control South Koreans. Mm. I repeat, South Koreans. The assumption was that South Koreans probably would do something far north and it would increase the tension and prolong the war. Americans were so desperate to end. So to minimize such risks, the American side basically suggested such a line. And this line, uh, it was drawn in a way, so a few South Korean islands, currently they were under, then they were under the South Korean control anyway, uh, remained within the South Korean territory. And when the armistice was signed in 1953, it basically it remains the case. So we have sort of few pieces of South Korean land located far away from the mainland and remarkably close to North Korea. Right, so sometimes on a, on a clear day you can see a little bit of North Korea from the island of Yonpyeong-do. I, I would say it's an uh, under, or understatement. I would say always any day with reasonably good weather you can see North Korea from Yonpyeong-do and Penyeong-do, which is another island. Yeah, which of those two is closest to North Korean territory? Is it Penyeong-do or um, Yonpyeong-do? Penyeong-do is uh, much further away, but I'm not sure about distance. Yeah, so uh, Pe- Penyeong-do uh, is definitely further from North Korean territory than Yonpyeong-do. I ah. think we're about, from here we're about 38 kilometers to, is it Heiju? Yeah, Heju, Heju, the city yeah. of Heju, on but, the Ongin Peninsula. But before Heju, there are n- numerous other North Korean islands, mm-hmm. and uh, we've seen North Korean ships uh, going past. Um, but of course, this island, um, one thing that we, we didn't mention is that this island was badly shelled in uh, 2010, during right. a period of inter-Korean tension. Um, I think it was one of the most significant military conventional incidents that we've we've seen in in recent history and yeah, definitely four since the end of the people war. died in uh in the on this island so 
it was a bit of a flashpoint uh, back then. And why have we come here? Uh, we've come here because um, it's kind of like a, a staff retreat slash investigative research. The key thing is that Yonpyeongdo is pretty close to North Korea. Yeah. And with all the corona stuff that's going on right now, it means travel is basically impossible anywhere. Um, going to China uh, is obviously out of the bounds right now. And so this is effectively one of the closest places we can get to North Korea. Now, although we did see a couple of North Korean boats, we saw many more Chinese boats here, very close mm-hmm. to the island, well within South Korean waters, didn't we? Yeah, it was bizarre. Um, literally a stone's throw from the beach, uh, we saw, I think, uh, one of our colleagues counted two dozen Chinese vessels. Yeah. Less than 100 meters from the South Korean shoreline. And uh, we spoke to a, a military official uh, on one of the hills that we were on earlier. And he said that that was illegal activity. But for some reason, the South Koreans don't take any action. You have Chinese vessels wantonly fishing, mm, fishing right okay. on South Korea's doorstep. And there seems to be no respect for international maritime boundaries and and so on yeah we didn't see any clash or any attempts by the south korean coast guard or navy to uh, to no. shoot them away we did hear uh some chinese messages being broadcast on uh, loudspeakers to tell them to go away but they weren't showing any uh, sign of uh, of, of compl- complying with that uh well chinese are there because fish is there fishermen go after fish do they uh but why south koreans I, I would not expect some kind of political motivation because Chinese fishermen are everywhere where they can get. China has massive demand for seafood mm. and uh, also it's the reason why it faces severe depletion in uh, coastal waters so the Chinese fishermen are going further and further away. Uh, what was a bit surprising for me was that South Koreans did pretty much nothing about it. Chinese fishing boats were basically cruising just maybe a couple of hundred meters away from the island with nets and uh, trowels and everything. And there was a, there is a great deal of military presence. There were virtually dozens, if not hundreds, of the South Korean military personnel who were watching it and they obviously did not bother much uh, i was told actually one of us was told that there have been some clashes before and that the clashes have um, happened quite frequently mm. yes probably it's really the case almost definitely but in this case uh, we saw how chinese were fishing in the korean waters without any harassment without uh, any problems right um now do, do they also fish in north korean waters i mean does north korea accept Chinese fisher bo- fishing boats in its well, waters? In the latest UN panel of expert report, they had some great primary source evidence of fishing permits that Chinese uh, vessels had purchased to uh, mm. basically look for fish in North Korean waters. I think it cost about $50,000. So it's a Korean certificate that I guess they are allowed to show if North Korean Coast Guard come out and ask what they're doing. Is that fifty thousand um, per boat, or, or for that the was, whole I area? That was fifty thousand dollars for a quarter for okay. three months of fishing rights, and and perhaps if memory serves, they had there's a tax that had to be paid on mm. on the volume of fish that were caught as well. I'm not sure on that part. And we're here in the middle of June, which is the uh, the, the the peak season for uh, crab crab fishing or crabbing. Mm. Uh, 
which are you know plentiful around these islands here. And so every every uh, June, there are lots of these Chinese crab boats that come here to uh, to catch the uh, the snow crabs or the red crabs to take back to the Chinese market. Uh, now, to our listeners, if you're hearing some extra noise in the background, that's because our uh, our ferry has just now pushed away from the uh, the port on Yunpyeong Island, and we're slowly heading off into the uh, the ocean back to uh, to Incheon. Uh, now, we didn't have a lot of su- success in looking at the North Korean mainland, did we? Even though, as, as uh, Andre Lankov mentioned, uh, normally you can see quite well, but today was a bit hazy and yesterday was rainy. Yeah, we, we couldn't see, we could see the contours of it, mm. but what we could see was uh, islands, uninhabited islands, much closer. Um, but interestingly, like I said at the start, there, there was a kind of taste of North Korea which articulated in some interesting ways. For example, on the beach, we found a lot of trash yeah. from North Korea. Uh, lots of uh, candy wrappers, MSG bags, uh, bottles of like North Korean children's milk, uh, even a political flyer, mm. uh, which I'm going to write about quite soon. But there's a lot of Chinese trash there as well. Yeah, a lot of shoes, strangely enough. Um, Gee. And then the other thing was that we could get North Korean medium wave radio really easily. That's right, uh, medium wave or AM. Uh, we were listening uh, to some musical programs yesterday while driving around Yonpyeong Island. It didn't seem to be uh, blocked or jammed. The signal was, was quite clear. And uh, we were able to hear some uh, uh, some songs from North Korea. Yeah. I didn't hear any news. Did Andre, did you hear any news from North Korea on the radio yesterday? We, we, we did in the car. We heard them criticizing America for something. And also some dramas which were so stereotypical that with some experience you could predict what will happen in the next few minutes just judge by judging just by their intonation also a radio yes. drama yes radio drama yes mm. uh, and some north korean pop which is quite reminiscent of the soviet pop music of the 1960s and 70s which is not surprising because they essentially emulated it without ever admitting it andre could you tell us about how and where you found this uh, north korean political leaflet we came to a beach that was particularly covered in litter it was not paper it was plastic better equipped to survive a journey at sea, I suppose. Uh, it's about uh, three inches long and two inches on, on the side and had retained quite a bit of its color, mostly which was blue and black, uh, to reflect the gravity of the message that it carried. Now, it's interesting, I've looked at leaflets a lot over the years and generally North Korean leaflets are on paper. This one, as you said, is on made on plastic. The um, Leaflets that are sometimes sent by civic groups in South Korea over to North Korea, they're often printed on plastic to last journey. So it's almost like uh, the North Koreans have seen it and are learning from that technique and are now adopting uh, plastic printing, I suppose. Uh, how old do you think this, uh, this leaflet would be? I don't know how old it was. Uh, as far as we know, there really hasn't been any leafleting targeting the South from the North for about three years. Um, and it did seem to have messaging that would fit with a conservative government uh, in Seoul. Uh, that said, you know, the colors had survived. Perhaps it hadn't left the north for some time. You know, may- maybe it had never made it south, and at some point in the last few months, somebody found it on the northern side and chucked it in a river or... Yeah, it's, it's a hard one trying to figure out when that was created. Um, I used to find a lot of these things while I was jogging in Seoul. And throughout 2017 and 2016, it was common to find them on the weekend. Um, this, I think you mentioned earlier, it, it's the color, color is quite 
uh, bright, mm. um, which suggests it might not be as old as we think. And yeah, it's not faded at all. Yeah, and so if if it's recent, the question is what 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 could it have been sent for? One theory is it may be something to do with the recent parliamentary elections. Mm. Um, maybe they were trying to, to suggest to South Koreans to support Minjudang. But that seems quite contradictory given what's going on right now and how critical South Korea is being towards Seoul. So it's really... North Korea. You and if, if, it, if it's from 2016, 2017... Well, it would have to be before President Moon became president. So we're really going back... Uh, bef- before May 2017, if it was an old one, mm. so I, yeah, it's I'm not sure about it. Basically, yeah. Um, now we've we've come at an interesting time in North-South relations. Uh, when you planned this trip a few weeks ago, you didn't know that things would be quite as bad as they are right now between North and South Korea. But right, uh, we had no idea this that things would so rapidly uh, descend into acrimony and. Uh, I wrote some analysis on NK Pro a few uh, days ago, which basically looked back at everything that's happened since the failed Hanoi summit. Which is already two two years? February 2019. Oh, I'm sorry. It's only one year and three months ago. Yeah. What's interesting is there have actually been several... There's been momentum going towards this now for for months. And lots of uh, outbursts by the likes of Kim Yo-jong and criticism of South Korea... I mean, even the shooting of the guard post, uh, which was described as an accident, one has to wonder now, was that really an accident um, or a, a potential artificial trigger for a mini inter-Korean crisis, which has been created this time around by the leaflets. But yeah, they're, they're, they're the, these of, are leaflets sent from South Korea to yeah, North Korea yeah. by civic, group, civic groups. Uh, what's, uh, why does that anger North Korea so much when civic groups here in um, South Korea I mean, so outside much? information is like cancer to them. And uh, it, it, it's probably one of the biggest threats to the uh, legitimacy of the, the leadership there, which is why they're so sensitive about it compared to South Korea, which doesn't really seem to care much about North Korean leaflets coming in. Now, uh, Kim Yo-jong has been a big part of this, uh, this angry messaging to South Korea. Uh, we're seeing her name a lot on page one and page two of the Rodong Shinmun in the last couple of days. I spoke to, yesterday I spoke to uh, NK News reporter Jong Min Kim who said that uh, she gets the sense that Kim Yo-jong's position is very much, uh, has very much risen, that her star is on the rise and that she's uh, got a, a prominent role in North Korea now. Is that uh, in accordance with what you're seeing? Yeah, I think so. Um, and the question is why they're raising her profile so much. Mm. Um, one theory is that if there was a health problem with Kim Jong-un, it would be wise for them to start, um, while he's still alive, building up a potential successor. And certainly the types of things she's doing are uh, evidence that they're trying to spotlight her profile and give her credentials and so on. It's kind of very depressing to see all this inter-Korean acrimony once again. Mm, uh, they, they cut off the phone lines. Oh, uh, Frankly, I probably would add that it's we should not ask too frequently a question why do they worry about leaflets? Because leaflets is nothing but a pretext and explanation. They need a crisis. Well, Leaflets is an issue for them, but has uh, this issue not existed? Well, uh, probably they would make the same level of noise about radio broadcast or about, you know, some photos of uh, the supreme leader 
where he looks a bit too fat, published in some North Korean, South Korean media. It's irrelevant. They need, they badly need a crisis. And the What crisis, do they need that for? Uh, well, they, vo- they are not happy with South Korean position. South Korean government is smiling broadly. And many people, especially in the United States, who have a habit of talking with the South Korean conservatives, sort of suspect, looking at what the current uh, South Korean administration is doing, that they are sort of secretly sympathetic towards North Korea and so on. Well, I'm not very good in mind reading. I don't know whether President Moon is sympathetic or not. But what I see, uh, President Moon is extremely careful not to do anything which will annoy the United States of America. Uh, South Koreans are showering North Korea with good-looking proposals. But all these proposals are designed in a way not to be seen as a violation or challenge both to the US, uh, United Nations Security Council sanctions and to the American position. Uh, so it's largely about humanitarian exchanges, uh, humanitarian assistance, cultural contacts and other symbolic interaction. And North Koreans are serious people. They are not interested in humanitarian exchanges. They need hard stuff. Why why do they constantly reject and rebuff these proposals? Not just the humanitarian exchanges, but also things like uh, uh, economic exchange, inter-Korean economic cooperation and exchange. Of which kind? What exactly did South Korea suggest in terms of uh, economic cooperation? Okay, good question. Now, you're asking the interviewer something. Uh, No, I'm sorry. I'm just saying that all these proposals were carefully designed to be economically meaningless. It's what I'm saying. There, there were some uh, proposals to uh, look into reopening Kumgangsan? Uh, yes, there were some proposals to look at the reopening Kumgangsan, but largely it was again about individual tourism, which is not going to make much difference for North Korea right now. There were also proposals into uh, manufacturing face masks at the Kersom uh, Industrial yes. Complex. Yeah, but again we are talking about small-scale humanitarian interaction, exactly the type of interaction which will be acceptable for the United States. Because Moon understands pretty well gains he is going to get from uh, having a resemblance of good relations with North Korea are significantly less significant, much less significant, than problems uh, he will experience if he annoys Donald Trump. Uh, So uh, he basically makes a lot of suggestions which look nice on paper, but of zero interest for North Korea. And the North Koreans understand that if these proposals are accepted by this North Korean side, uh, President Moon will use it in the domestic politics as another way to prove his diplomatic skills, increase his popularity, his approval ratings, and the approval ratings of his party. Another word, if North Koreans accept these proposals, they will give President Moon a gift. Mm. And according to their, well, from their point of view, he has not done anything to deserve such a gift. So, um, North Korea at the moment, uh, well, a couple of days ago, it uh, cut off the uh, telephone communication with South Korea. Uh, yes, they have it, done it five times. And it, it, it threatened... Um, it, uh, it threatens some action if, the, if it's provoked. Yep. So all of this, is this designed to get some kind of economic response that it wants? In the long run, it's designed to make President Moon and his administration uncomfortable mm-hmm. 
uh, so they will do something. What does it mean? Yeah, what does Probably that mean? they will challenge the Americans and will be a bit more bold with ideas about economic cooperation, uh, worrying less how Washington will react to such ideas. Probably they will be more efficient in lobbying Washington for taking a more relaxed stance on North Korea and basically approving, accepting a higher level of interaction. So doesn't matter. It's what they are going to do. Uh, They basically want President Moon to do something. And they are sending him a clear signal that broad smiles and sweet words and meaningless proposals are not going to help him to create what he needs. That is impression of perfect state of relations between two Korean states. So North Korea believes that uh, its um, negative and antagonistic behavior towards South Korea will eventually push Moon Jae-in and the South Korean government into uh, fighting or uh, taking a separate stance from the Americans. Yes, maybe challenging Americans, maybe persuading Americans to be more, to take a softer stance, doesn't matter, we'll see. Do you see that will work? No, I don't think it will work. Uh, but uh, North, if you look at the situation from the North Korean point of view, well, such an approach does have some chances to succeed, very low chances. And if they just accept all this pretty much meaningless proposals, will it help? Once again, they don't care about many issues which are taken seriously. It's a bit like COVID epidemics. It's not important for them. Uh, Because if it happens, well, people who are likely to die are undernourished farmers in the distant provinces, and these people don't have much value for the government. When it was necessary 20 years ago, the government easily sacrificed roughly half a million such people during the Great Famine. So why should they care much about their survival? They would like to see them alive, but it's not a major priority. Or all this type of humanitarian exchanges, they are of very marginal uh, significance for North Korean government. So what are the what would be the next steps for North Korea if, if this doesn't get anywhere? Would there be uh, is there a possibility in your mind that they could, uh, for example, shell? Uh, Yonpyeong Island again, like they did in 2010, or, uh, or maybe uh, shoot at a South Korean naval vessel? or No, not not naval vessel. A test I of an ICBM, a nuclear uh, device? Uh, yes, I think ICBM should wait. Uh, because what they now want, they want to create tension in rela- their relations with Seoul mm-hmm. without offending Washington too much. Ah. Uh, so ICBM is basically about Washington, because okay. South Koreans don't care much about North Korean ICBM. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so probably they will do some kind of shooting if the flats are, if the balloons are launched, they probably do a bit of shooting at places where they are launched. There will be some kind of low, low intensity provocation. I think they will escalate. Maybe they will um, organize some assassination of the emigre uh, uh, activists, which is also possible because the level of death threats is unusually high. You mean a prominent it, North Korean defector in yes, Seoul could in be killed South- by a North Korean agent? They keep talking about it right now. Mm. Just yesterday they had massive demonstration under slogans, kill them all, kill them all. Another one? Thousands. Yes, wow. yeah, yesterday it was, yesterday morning I believe, in North Korea, the thousands of students were marching in uniform, marching in unison, were chanting, kill them all, kill mm. them all. Very North Korean show. Yeah. Having said that, uh, so uh, once again, it's probably empty threat, but I'm not sure, uh, because they occasionally make death threats. Well, we have seen a, a few years ago when South Korean 
defector groups and other humanitarian and, and religious groups were sending uh, balloons and uh, and leaflets and other things in North Korea. That North Korea threatened to uh, to shell those areas where the launches were being made from, uh, and it was it got to the extent that the residents of uh, Paju and and Porchon and other counties uh, complained to the government, saying, you know, we don't want to be shelled uh, in in retaliation for. Uh, these groups sending the leaflets, and so there's there's some internal, you know, uh, South Korean pressure mm-hmm. um, to uh, to clamp down on these activities. And we we yeah. also saw uh, yesterday morning the news that the South Korean government had uh, deregistered or had banned a couple of these organizations doing mm-hmm. this. Yes, uh, is that a sign that the South Korean government is, is amenable to uh, giving into the North Korean demands? Well, they give uh, in to the demands with remarkable speed. It took mm. just a few hours uh, when they uh, began to kowtow to the North Korean demands. Uh, Kim Yo-jong uh, published her statement. Right. And in just four or five hours, the Ministry of Unification promised to do something about it. Uh, partially, it's because these leaflets... Uh, the groups who are doing it, uh, they don't enjoy significant support in the South Korean society. Uh, South Korean society doesn't care much about North Korea. It's something which is often overlooked uh, because in the world media, uh, Korean Peninsula is usually mentioned when something happens uh, in or around North Korea. So people tend to assume that, you know, the average South Korean cares about North Korea a lot. Well, for the average South Korean is a very secondary issue. And with the exception of some uh, uh, kind of hardline conservatives, most South Koreans don't feel much sympathy about these activities. They are not much interested in democracy in North Korea. They are not much interested in whichever, whatever in North Korea. Uh, So it's just for them a strange, bizarre foreign country. Probably I would say that uh, South Korean government will stop leaflets. Maybe it will be eventually used against this government by their position. And uh, I would be very careful, have I been a South Korean official, uh, to sign any paper of this kind. Because a few, few years later, according to the glorious South Korean tradition, you can find yourself under investigation of wars mm. for, you know, uh, impending the freedom of speech or something like that. But it's a long prospect. We are talking five, ten years. Right now, I think they can do it. Is no. In regard to the very rapid response by the South Korean government to stopping the uh, the launch of leaflets, I was talking to one North Korean expert, uh, Chris Green, who's not here with us today, uh, who thought that uh, it might be a sign that South Korea hopes that North Korea will join it in some kind of joint celebration of, or joint commemoration of the, the June 15th joint statement. Uh, is that something that... Uh, maybe, but if, if they believe and they hope for it, they are quite naive. Um, I, uh, everybody has to be careful with predictions, always, but I dare to do some predictions. In the foreseeable future, we cannot count on any kind of interaction between two Korean states. As long as South Korea is not willing to give North Korea what North Korea actually wants, that is money, serious or serious, uh, high, seriously high level of economic exchanges, which are against money, because let's keep in mind something which is not much advertised by the South Korean government, has never been advertised, uh, so people sometimes overlook it. Mm-hmm. All economic exchanges between North and South Korea are possible only because they are subsidized by the South Korean taxpayers. Uh, they have never been engaged in equal reciprocity-based trade. Ah. 
it was with very few exceptions all these projects are basically paid uh, by the South Koreans. For the South, it's a money-losing operation, always. And Case on industrial complex also? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Yes, there was, uh, because be careful with what uh, South Korean government say. They are very good in creative accounting. Uh, they usually give you figures about the Kelson industrial complex, which conveniently exclude the amount, uh, initial investment of building all these buildings, putting electricity, water supply, everything, because it was expensive activity completely paid uh, by the uh, South Korean taxpayers. And with many other things, you can see the same creative accounting, because South Korean government is quite uh, unwilling to indicate, to let common South Korean voters know uh, how much money is actually spent on assisting North Korea. Now, we're currently about five months away from the uh, presidential election in the United States. What can we expect to see before then? Any kind of action? Yeah. Uh, North Korean action. Well, either North Korean action or inter-Korean rapprochement again. You know, uh, yeah, I think on the, the U.S. side, we'll see, uh, well, on things that can impact the U.S. side, we'll see North Korean missile testing. Uh, you know, they talked a lot last year, late last year, about a new strategic weapon that was going to be unveiled in the uh, dis- not-too-distant future. Is that real, do you think, or was that just bluster? I think it's real. Hmm. Two, And there are two sort of areas of indicators that we're watching. One is that you might remember in December, Kim Jong-un, or well, North Korean authorities conducted two uh, engine tests at uh, the Sohei missile uh, slash rocket facility. Yeah. Uh, one of these had a burn time of, I think, around eight minutes. Uh, very specific data that they cited, which suggests that there could be a new ICBM engine being uh, developed. The other thing, of course, is the possibility of North Korean uh, SLBM submarine launch ballistic missile testing. Uh, they have a new submarine currently under construction. Um, those things could uh, could rock the boat a bit with the U.S., but in North Korea, to, to North Korea's advantage, they have the benefit of being um, really in a very busy. There's a very busy news schedule out there with uh, all the coronavirus problems, mm. the race riots, and so on, and so. Would Trump's, would the international community's attention be galvanized against a future North Korean missile test that is more significant than ones we've seen in the last couple of years? I don't think so. So your so, intuition says that basically there's very little that North Korea could do short of another nuclear test or an ICBM test to actually get world opinion uh, rallied around against it. Yeah, yeah, I think I don't think so. And on the South Korean front, it's harder to predict... Um, in 2013, when they ratcheted up tensions with President Park's administration, they had the quote-unquote benefit of a conservative administration in Seoul, which wanted to look strong, didn't want to look like it tolerated North Korean pressure tactics. And Moon is the exact opposite of that. So baiting Moon will mm. potentially cost more for North Korea than it would with South uh, with a conservative leader. So in other words, it might take a, a larger provocation to draw the ire of South Korea and preferably draw a effort from South Korea to de-escalate things as quickly as possible. And as Lankov suggested, on terms that can uh, result in you know, a better negotiating uh, point for Pyongyang. 
Well, then surely, I mean, wouldn't wouldn't a larger provocation almost have to necessitate some kind of violence? Right, right. Like, you know, kinetic uh, military action? Yeah, and so I, there's lots of stuff they can do short of that. Mm. Firstly, uh, abrogating the armistice agreement, they yes. can, which they did in 2013. They've already severed the hotlines. Uh, and what about the special military agreement? Tearing, tearing that up, that would be something that would annoy President Moon. Um, but after those things are exhausted, I mean, Kaesong and Kumgang are already, you know, shut down. Mm-hmm. Um, so threats to tear them apart or repurpose them are not that significant nothing changes in the status quo whereas with yeah I think they that leaves really just violent options Um, and those could either articulate in ambiguous ways like we saw with the the sinking of the Chonan and which we may have seen recently with the guard post shooting on uh, May 3rd Mm. Um, which was initially deemed to be an accident by yeah by everybody yeah so that I mean in, in context, to me, it doesn't look accidental. Mm. Uh, it could have been a North Korean test to see how South Korea responds. Um, of course, they could do direct measures, uh, or, you know, bombardments of islands like the one we've just been on, or, um, you know, maybe in, incursions into South Korean territory. Well, one former uh, USFK officer suggested to me that uh, the North Koreans could start wearing pistols in their... Uh, in yes. their holsters again around yeah. the military zone and to start uh, uh, manning the old guard posts that they tore down a, you know, yeah. a year or two ago. Uh, is that something that, if they did do that, could be dialed back again quickly if, uh, if, if yeah, relations improve? Yeah, most improved? of these things can be dialed back very quickly. The, the kind of sad thing is that President Moon and Kim Jong-un both knew of the risks of uh, cycles of escalation when they created their presidential leader level hotline Mm. and now we're in a situation where it would potentially be useful and the north koreans are shutting it down so is that hotline too shut down or is it just the so the inter-korean working level hotline? uh east and west sea yeah inter-korean liaison office line and the presidential one oh they've all been cut okay Mm -hmm. now the last time we saw uh, a couple of months ago i remember kim yo jong wrote that uh, sort of very aggressive letter to south korea but it was shortly after followed by a friendly letter from moon to kim saying you know hey uh, i understand you're having a hard time with corona uh keep a stiff upper lip and you know we'll get through it sort of thing uh have we seen any sign that this time that uh um, kim has sent a uh, a friendly message to moon nothing nothing okay so really uh, we're we're kind of in a uh, a mysterious place right now, and it, it's hard to yeah, tell what we'll be seeing in the next couple of months. It's unusual. Um, and I just has, has Kim Jong Un been uh, publicly cited again recently? Yeah, he made an appearance a few days ago, um, conducting another meeting. Um, I mean, all of his appearances, bar the um, uh, Sunchon factory opening, have been very kind of bird's eye level, strategy focused discussions. Um, so it's not. I've mentioned this before. It's not business as usual, I think, in Pyongyang for mm. some reason. And, um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting summer, I think. I think so. Uh, I think it's always valuable to go to places where you can see manifestations of this conflict that is so long and so enduring. I think often when it's... 70 in, years this month. Yeah. Uh, it's often a news item or kind of an abstraction that's filtered through you know, government statements and media interpretations of those statements. But, you know, you go to an island like this where ordinary farmers and fisher folk are uh, 
surrounded by barbed wire constantly and there's right. a heavy heavy military presence and these are people who you know within just a decade they've seen people die then some neighbors some soldiers get killed so they know that this, the threat's real right the shelling of Yeongpyeongdo in in 2010 i was here in south korea when that happened it was just a few months after the chonan had been sunk um and at that point uh, less than a decade uh, after other conflicts that happened in this area at sea right and when i saw a video back. of it i really thought wow this is this is something different yeah. this is going to cause a strong reaction here and i remember going to work at ulsan university and uh that's a very conservative part of the country yeah. um and so in terms of foreign policy you know generally people are pro-us pro-alliance right. and anti-cooperation with north korea Huh. Uh, so you would expect, I would, I did expect people to be saying this is an outrage right. and there's going to be a big response, and there really was nothing. Okay. Oh, that is interesting, yeah, because on that same day, I was teaching uh, young Korean diplomats at the Korean National Diplomatic Academy who were preparing for their first posting, uh, whether in Korea or overseas. And, and we were taking them uh, that evening on a bus to the British Embassy for an evening of debate. Mm-hmm. Um, and as they got on the bus, they were ashen-faced. They were checking their phones, and they were really worried. They thought, oh, you know, uh, something's happening. You know, we're, yeah. we're on the verge of a conflict. Maybe they didn't say war, but you know, we're on the verge of something. Uh, and, and they were very, very concerned about that. Mm-hmm. Now, they weren't angry. They weren't saying, this is an outrage. We have to strike back. But they were worried that something may uh, escalate from this. Yeah, we learned later that... that uh, it was the South Koreans that really wanted to take some kind of retributive action, and it was the Americans that were much more cautious at that moment. Right. Um, Although they did shoot back at the artillery tubes, as I recall. Sure, but that's kind of a minimal response. That's a minimal I, response. I've, yeah. I've heard military folk talk about South Korean military really keen to have airstrikes on ah, some of these, that it would be so these, which would have been a big escalation. Yeah. Um, but it also speaks to how marginal these islands are in the consciousness of. Yeah. other South Koreans um, well, because most people don't think about here they don't come here they don't live yeah, here yeah in, in an analog might be the the fake the missile alert in Hawaii from ah. a couple of years ago which really penetrated the American consciousness very little you know people didn't huh. really it, it mattered also we're in the Trump administration so right. there was some other crazy news that swept over us a couple of days later but a major event you know hundreds of thousands of americans thinking that maybe they were under attack in hawaii on yeah. american soil right possibly about to die and it really didn't spark much contemplation i think mm. in the u.s in in general now you you've, you touched very briefly on and i should mention this uh in 1999 there was a yon pyongdo battle one and then yeah. in 2002 during the world cup there was yon pyongdo battle two so there, there were a couple of uh quite you know, bitter sea clashes between North and South Korean naval vessels. And uh, I forget now, I, I know uh, 1999, I think it was the North Koreans uh, who had their vessel sunk and with loss of life. And then in 2002, it was the South Korean ship that was sunk with, with loss of life. Uh, and we did see those memorials yesterday going around the island, right? That we saw sculptures of the faces of those soldiers who had died and in their names and, and great tributes to them. So for the people on the island, that's very present for them, I suppose. Yeah, right. And the population, though, of, of the two Yonpyeong Islands is under Right, there's 3, one big one and one small one. Yeah, Yonpyeong big and Yonpyeong small. Yeah, little, little Yonpyeong. Yeah. Now, are you hopeful for any uh, breakthrough or positive um, developments before the U.S. elections coming up in November? Chad was just saying that he doesn't expect to see much 
nor does uh, Andre Lankov. Yeah, I would agree with uh, other Andre, original North Korea watching Andre <laughs> and Chad, original North Korea watching Chad. Still um, the only Chad. Yeah. I don't expect much to change in the next few months. When you look at what the U.S. is dealing with now, both in terms of the pandemic and domestic political unrest, it seems extremely unlikely that they would respond to anything other than uh, a very significant action on the Korean Peninsula. Um, it's just, I don't think there's the bandwidth in the Trump administration right now. Yeah. Um, so the kind of action that would get enough U.S. attention is probably beyond what the North Koreans would want to conduct. I think it would, it would stress their relationships with the Chinese and Russians at this moment. So it becomes, um, a, a, once again, a waiting game just to see uh, what the next president brings. Yeah. Or, or what uh, Trump too brings. I would think so. That that said, you know, I've been wrong before and the North Koreans tend to push the boundaries more than, than we expect. That's clearly part of how they operate, consistently demonstrating they're willing to take more risks than anyone else that has a stake on the peninsula. So, you know, there could be there could be an October surprise. I think just today they warned the U.S. to stay out of North-South relations. Ah. We're, we're so such usually an unstable... D- does the U.S. normally intervene in, in North-South relations in a big uh, way? From the North Korean perspective, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. Um, I think right right now, but, you know, very little. Very little, right? Um, Except to say, uh, we're letting Moon take the President Moon of South Korea take the lead. So you know that that's kind of what America's sort of done, isn't it? Leaving it in in the uh, in the Korean basket for now. Yeah, I think following the the collapse of talks between the U.S. and North Korea last September, uh, there hasn't been much direct contact and also I think not much hope that the Moon administration is going to be able to find a breakthrough. I think Moon built up a tremendous amount of political capital in Washington and Pyongyang and then spent it all correctly in early 2019 and 2018 to get the Americans and North Koreans to the table and then those two sides failed to, to find the, the breakthrough that the Moon administration really needed. We're almost exactly a year uh, from the uh, the Panmunjom mini summit uh, between Moon and Kim and Trump, wow. uh, which was yeah. worked out quite quickly, uh, the so-called Twitter summit. Do you have any hope uh, that anything like that could happen again to sort of kickstart things once more? Or did Not, you see that as the end of the process rather than... You know, anything significant. No, I, I saw that as a tremendous bit of diplomacy from both Koreas and the United States. I think everybody had that date circled, knowing that Trump was going to be in the region. And while it wasn't really, really planned out in advance, everyone was ready to go for when Trump gave the, the signal that he was interested. Right. And I thought it was symbolically exactly what the North Koreans needed, what Kim Jong-un needed, in order to restart this process that had stalled out in Hanoi. Um so who wasted it then? Who blew it? I I mean, a lot of speculation is necessary, <laughs> a question like that. Uh, I think fundamentally after Hanoi, Kim Jong-un has been unable to sell the idea of a peace deal amongst his stakeholders in, uh-huh. in Pyongyang, amongst the elites whose opinions matter. And on, on that unhappy note, uh, we thank you, Andre Abrahamian, for your thoughts. I, yeah, I mean, just... I don't know if this is usable in any way, but I I do think visiting places where you can 
here into North Korea, on the one hand, it's trite and kind of cheesy. You know, we're going along the beaches looking yeah. for North Korean trash. But we found some. Yeah, yeah. There's, a, there's an element of that that makes me feel pathetic. But it, it also, you know, you stare out there and you imagine these people who are 10, 15 kilometers away. Right. Living these vastly different lives unaware of the lives that we live in in most cases yeah. and completely yeah, we can't separated communicate from with us. Them. And they're unable to access the technologies that we have that plug us into the rest of the world. I, I do always find that to be quite moving and and profound to, to go to a place like this or the border, you know, between yeah. China and North Korea and think about how people so, so close to us are so distant at the same time. Meanwhile, watching uh, birds who are no respecters of borders able to fly back and forth between where we are and where they are. Yeah, I mean, if we could somehow get them involved in the policy process. Right. <laughs> okay, well, uh, that brings me to the end of uh, this episode of NK News Podcast on the road or on the sea, I should say. Uh, my thanks to uh, Chad O'Carroll, Andre Lankoff, Andre Abrahamian, and all the team from NK News who are out here on this retreat. It's, uh, it's been an excellent time, and we do hope that uh, the listeners were able to gain something from this, uh, despite the, uh, the noise of the, the ferry engines rumbling along in the background and the occasional kid crying. Thanks for listening, and we'll hear you again, or you'll hear us again next episode. Costs involved in the production of this podcast were partially funded by the Uni Korea Fund, for which we are extremely grateful.